Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today for the show that is shaping the way that the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. QBAC is a next-generation advancement solution that reimagines alumni engagement to increase major planned and principal giving. QBAC acts as a force multiplier for fundraisers, enabling them to focus on what they do best, developing deep relationships with prospects and cultivating them into lifelong donors. QBAC automates the qualification process beyond simple scoring to ensure that your fundraisers have the best prospects. QBAC also uncovers actionable insights about current and future prospects to help fundraisers develop personalized cultivation strategies. Start closing bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Also, how about being our next host for the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow? I'm looking forward to two things this summer, getting back to the ballpark with my kids and getting the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow back on the calendar. If your organization would like to be a host location, let's schedule a time to chat. The Responsive Fundraising Roadshow provides six hours of the best fundraising training out there based on Responsive's four sense-making tools. Hosting Responsive's Roadshow is not like hosting a major conference that requires months of planning and all types of resources. All we need you to do is provide us with a safe learning environment for 25 adult professionals in your community who want to understand how highly effective fundraising really works. There is no cost to your organization, and we will reimburse you for all related expenses. If your organization would like to host the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow in your community, reach out and let's have a conversation today. Hi, Penny. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast today. You and I have uh, crossed paths on, I believe, LinkedIn or somewhere else on social media and uh, started to compare notes in, uh, in one of our message exchanges. Uh, sounds like we think a little bit alike and uh, want to compare notes. So that's what we're going to perhaps do today. But before we do that, how about we, uh, Penny, how about we just let you introduce yourself? All right. Thank you. And it's fun. And I look forward to our conversation. Um, me as a human being, I, um, when I was, um, when I, w- I was born on a farm in northern Maine and grew up that way, pretty much in the country, and learned about, it wasn't fundraising, I learned about giving because my father told me he'd give me an allowance if I gave, I think it was about 20% of it had to go to the church. So I didn't have any choice about, um, I, my only choice was to have a, an allowance or not. 
And it's funny how that's kind of stuck with me, I think, as I've moved, moved forward. Uh, I have done been a, a fourth grade teacher and a social worker. And when my kids were growing up, I uh, got into community um, volunteer work. And, and that's where my beginning of my fundraising started. Um, I had to raise money. Nobody else wanted to do it. And if I wanted programs and I was with the League of Women Voters and I found that I just would work in the community. I'd find people that liked the, the program that I wanted to do. I, I called up a bank president once and said, you know, I have this idea and I shared it with him and he said, I really like it. So he helped me fundraise. He connected me with the businesses around the state and, um, uh, it was a big success. And I did a forum once. This kind of hit me when I did a forum. And I had this couple come up to me and they said, Penny, we want to thank you. We're so happy you invited us to, to give and support this forum. She said, as we sat here, we just felt so proud that we were a part of making this happen in the community. And I never forgot that because that was kind of, that was the kind of thing like, oh, maybe this is the work I can do <laughs> and that it's important. It makes people feel good. Um, so I did that. And as my daughter headed off to college, um, I headed off to work and my first fundraising job, professional job was with public broadcasting. And my job was to build a program for um businesses support, business support. And I grew that about four times what it was when I started. And then I had an invitation to join the local medical centers um, to do a capital campaign and be the first development director. Um, I took that as an opportunity. I didn't know it would be quite what it was because my boss died quickly at about eight months and nobody else wanted to supervise me. So I pretty much got to do, I, they let me hire a consulting firm and I was um, putting it all together, which is really was a lot of basis because uh, of a, of experience for me, because a lot of the, the people in the community didn't like the hospital and uh, not that they didn't trust it. It was an excellent place for care, but they didn't like kind of the arrogant. That's how they described it, the arrogance of it. So I really worked to build a community campaign. And by the end, uh, we had a new children's center. That's what we supported. Um, and the people, the community has been much more positive about that hospital since that campaign, which was now, I don't know, back in the 90s or so. So I really believe that fundraising is the basis of where we make our communities better places to live and that fundraisers enable that and can can bring that about and bring people want to give. I mean, people want to give. They want to be, make their communities better. So that's what we do. That's our work is to manage that and keep that. And that's why I think I did consulting for a number of years. And I did a lot of um, pre-campaign studies. And I interviewed close to a 1,000 people all over the country um, from all kinds of walks of life. And... and um, 
I really just felt the humanness of it as I would sit in somebody's home or office and they would talk about the mission that we would be, um, you know, connecting with them. And it just stuck with me, you know, that it, that it was just so human. So when I hit some of my own consulting clients and they hated it, they hated and they focused so much on the money it wasn't the way I wanted to work. And right. so I, I stopped it for a while. And that's when I became a, a certified professional coach, learned how to make different kinds of relationships and really have thought a lot about giving, receiving, transactional versus interactional, yes. human, you know, that kind of thing. Do, do you so think now, those... Those uh, I, I've done my fair share of those feasibility studies too, and I've I've started to really sort of wrestle with whether or not um, whether or not I want to with my future clients be in that seat, or whether I want to in more cases have my clients perhaps in that seat alongside with me, or or perhaps um, what's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I, yeah. I totally, I, I actually had a client, they didn't want to hire me to do a, ca- a campaign. So I coached them. Yeah, I right. was a coach by then. And I worked with the CEO and the um, development um, director. And um, the, they did it. I mean, I helped them guided them through the questions. I went on a couple sure. of interviews with them just to help them and debrief. And there there was a mistake I made, which I will highlight because I kind of set them up to interview like I would, a consultant. They would call up, you know, I had it like that. And they were not getting interviews. So I said, wait a minute. I kind of got it. I said, why don't you just call them up and invite them over here for coffee or go take them out for lunch and they had over 40 interviews once they switched the strategy <laughs> that I had given them was wrong. They yeah. didn't, they weren't able to raise the money they wanted, but it really had nothing to do with them. Their program that they wanted to do was just too big, I think, ahead of their community. So they, they didn't, but I totally, my, my thing is I want to teach the fundraisers to, with their skills to be leaders in the organization. I'm just finishing a capital campaign with a current client. And um, they, I, ha- I have been coaching him. I haven't been to any meetings. No, yeah. he's run everything when he wants a question or we have our regular sessions. He had, brings questions. We talk strategies. He goes and does it. He's getting all the the, the recognition he deserves yeah. for that. Yeah. And when he had his opening just um, a, a, a week or so ago, they celebrated the mission. They celebrated donors coming together with them. And there, the money was there. It was, but it was not the start. You know, you see so many campaigns go, we raised million dollar, we're building this, but you lose the human of it. Right. And when I read that article, I got so excited because that I, I love the mission and I love what they're doing. And so I, but I was excited about the mission and what they had accomplished, not how much money they had raised. 
So, Penny, so, we yeah. ask our Penny, we ask our guests to come with a big idea or bold opinion. And um, I've looked at some of the material that you've sent me. I've been on your website. I know you've got some opinions on the way that perhaps fundraising should be working and perhaps some of the ways that it's not. So uh, what do you got for us? Okay. Well, in all of these last few years, I've created what I call mission-centered fundraising. And first of all, it's a repeatable system every year. It's a fundraiser will manage it, run it, be the be the responsible person. The annual donors, there's a process for them to renew so that you can bring donor renewal up to about 90%, which um, is what for-profits get with their customers. And I've checked this out and, and it's true. So I don't see any reason when somebody really likes submission and they're giving themselves that they won't do it, that, that, that same thing. Sure. And then with all of those donors that are renewing, 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 you have a community of people who are informed, understanding, they know each other. You find ways to be very uh, human and, and um, connect with, with the community so that basically – Instead of having donors, I always used to say, thank you for the check, bring it in, send them a thank you letter. And then that was the end of it until I needed money again. Not in this case. They are partners. So I would say donor partners that um, if you're working for a university, you've got the faculty, you've got students, you've got all of the different um, components, and the donors are also included. They're partners involved making it happen. Yeah, I think there's a I, I, I think there's an interdependency that we sort of miss. Um I, I just I just I just wrapped up this book project that um most of my listeners have heard me talk about quite a bit. Um but I I characterize the um sort of the interdependency that I think is so which which is sort of in between the lines of exactly what you just described. So I, I use the uh, I make references to the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy and and her three companions on the Yellow Brick Road, and and I think if we understand that, and I characterize in the book Dorothy as the as the fundraising professional, if we understand that the the her three companions in many ways are like the volunteer, her fellow colleagues and staff, and the and the donor, you know, those are her other three friends on the Yellow Brick Road. You sort of begin to understand that the story doesn't really work. If you just sort of have one of those characters, does that make sense that 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 you'd never want it? I mean, I mean, what would the Wizard of Oz be if if all three if all three of her companions weren't necessarily with her or if she went if she went all alone, for example? Right. You definitely it's a team. Yeah, right. No question about that. But I also and I'll just throw this in when I look at fundraising. I see a for-profit entity within the nonprofit. And so to me, a lot of the structure of fundraising can be like that. It can, that still doesn't mean that you can't have the components you're talking about because you've yeah. got to build it 
team, but that you build your budgets. You're much more accountable for exactly what you're spending for fundraising. And I, I know sometimes I, my boss would get mad at me because he would want me to do something. And I, and I would ask him, you know, about either about the cost or about using my time for something that didn't have anything to do with fundraising. Yeah. And he would get frustrated. But he would let me refuse. I said, I refuse. I'm not going to do this because, you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that idea. What, 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 yeah. Help me, help me understand what you're saying there. What type of things is, is, what type of things is he asking you to do that perhaps don't sort of fit? Yeah. Unravel that for me, if you don't mind. Okay, Sure. Um, one time he came to me and he said, one of the doctors is retiring Yeah, and he said, I want you to, would you have the going away dinner or event, whatever it was? Yeah. And I said, well, um, can I meet with him and, and uh, set it up so we can raise some money and, and provide some kind of support for somebody for something. Yeah. And he said, no, he told me that he would not allow any money to be raised and be used in that way. So I said to him, you know, if I take a month to do this, that's 11 months that I have left to do fundraising and you've hired me to do fundraising. So I don't think that's a use of my time. And really, I mean, I didn't confront confrontational way, but he went and got somebody else to put on the dinner and I didn't put it on. So because it didn't have anything to do with fundraising, you know, I, I couldn't see a use of my time that way. Yeah. 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 Is, is some of that, is some of that, the, um, we, I had a guest on here. It's probably been, it's been a little bit more than a year, but I, I, I think, I think one of the challenges that we, I know one of the challenges that we confront a lot in fundraising is this, um, sort of colluding or conflating of community building with fundraising. And I think sometimes we're trying so hard to most efficiently do both. You know, we want to, we want to accomplish whatever our community building objectives are. And we want to perhaps, you know, accomplish whatever our fundraising objectives are. And we put them together and they both end up perhaps suffering because we're trying to, what, what ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to create efficiencies where perhaps efficiencies don't belong. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, if we aren't committed and prioritizing renewal, yeah, we don't have any communities. There's no such thing. We've got new donors every year. We have no system with which to get them. Nobody knows what the hell fundraising is doing, right. you know, and so we're lost and we're put. I've, I've had fundraisers tell me, you know, they're in silos. I I wouldn't describe it quite as a silo, but you are kind of left out. You don't, you aren't brought in to the circle as much. And did that, did that, did that former boss of yours, something else that occurs to me as you're describing that situation, did, had that boss, this is what, this is what I think we're actually not going to suffer as much from as a profession going forward, because I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see more fundraisers transition into the supervisory roles with a greater level of confidence and understanding of how all this works. But with some of his, with some of his insistence on the way that it goes, because he had not yet reconciled what it even means to be in relationship with a donor, 
because it was just easier for him to sit at the, or, you know, for him to envision, let's sit at a dinner table and not let money be the exchange of money, be a part of what's actually being discussed. Was that part, do you think that was part of what was going on? Because I mean, one of the things I've learned and I've, I've, I've certainly coached development officers along this line is to not, not, not solicit money necessarily in that first meeting, but find ways to acknowledge for themselves, like the fundraiser needs to acknowledge for themselves that this is a fundraising relationship and that at some point in the journey, there is going to be a solicitation and an exchange of a gift. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that whenever you meet with somebody and they're meeting with you, they know that money and a gift, or they would have said, no, I'm not going to meet right, with you. Right, right, And And so you don't need to talk about money. Yeah. What, what, what we need to do in those conversations is, th- is really be curious about the, the perspective donor, or as I would say, the renewing donor. Yeah. What, what interests you? What kind of year did you have as a donor in our organization? What was good? What was okay, but you just as soon do something else? Help me. What would you like to know about the program or the leaders that you don't know? And, and, and be ready to talk about the vision for the next year, but that you let them lead you in the conversation. And because what I think, and I'm going to throw out another idea, what I think is that it's really harder to receive a gift than it is to ask for a gift. So when fundraisers are getting money, and I think the fundraisers need to do all the transactional work with donors, not a board person or somebody else, but when they feel they're getting money and they're not giving anything but a thank you back, which doesn't equal something, if they can be involved in a leadership role where they're giving um they're giving um i can't think of the word a space to this donor in the organization they've actually been able to give something as well as take something which is our society is built on exchange i mean you're not going to go in and take a sweater without paying for it so to take money from people and not give them something that they value then it's harder to go back. And that's why I think the voter, the voter, I'm sorry, the donor renewal is so low because I see fundraisers pushing. Once the donor has made a gift, they're an insider. They're in. Right. And fundraisers, then you can't use your board. You can't, you've got to make the relationship with the donor. You've got to learn what the donor wants and needs and what's the best way they want to be asked, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And, and um, if you don't, if you don't do that, if you keep trying to get somebody else to do your work, it's just people I had, you know, the, the monthly giving that everybody yes. gets these letters and keep getting them. Yes. I had a, to work, worked with a fundraiser and I really encouraged her to call the donors on a regular basis. She got more increases on their monthly. They asked more questions. She could share what's happening and they lengthened their commitment. I mean, it's, 
when you have a human to human connection with a donor where they are, yeah. not where I want them to be. And that's where I think the 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 fundraisers training doesn't do that for them. Hey, go back to this um cuz I don't think <laughs> I have thought on that point a number of times in a number of different ways, but I don't think I've ever had a guest and I don't know that I've ever ever even phrased it myself that way. But it, it certainly aligns with the critique that I'm usually sort of directing towards the way that most fundraising gets done. The idea that we're that we've developed a comfort level with asking, but we don't want to be receiving. Now, what what you're saying there is, Penny, is that we're okay with the fact that, for example, I, I think there's far too much mail going out, right? But that's right. asking. That's asking, and at the point at which the receiving happens. We're not actually receiving anything. You know, the person receives the letter. Um, they put a perhaps put a check in the mail and somebody processes it. And the fundraiser themselves is never actually receiving anything. And I have oftentimes thought that same thing, that we have essentially designed a lot of our fundraising activities in such a way where we avoid the being in that recipient role, we don't mind. It, 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 that's, that's very profound what you said. We don't mind being in the asking role, but somehow or another, we're going to design it in such a way where something sort of cuts off. There's a distance that we put between the, the asking and the receiving. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I agree. And I used to do, I did some workshops where when I would present myself, I walk around to the people, um, fundraisers who were sitting in the room and I gave them each a dollar. Yeah. And I said to them, all I want you to do, you don't have to share it with me. All I want you to do is how do you feel when I give you this dollar? Yeah, it's yours. You can do what you want with it. I'm giving it to you because you're here today. Yeah, I will tell you, nobody kept their dollar. They either gave it to the organization where we were sitting or they left it on the table for me to pick up. OK, that, that's it. Yeah, right. You're 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 you're, you're getting at the same stuff that I've historically done in some yeah. of these. Yeah. So when I was a. um uh, at the very beginning of my fundraising career, my wife and I was working, we were together working in a children's home and I was offered the fundraising role. And, um, and I remember at the same time, my wife and I had gotten in a car accident and I had to, I, I was essentially, um, I didn't borrow it. The gentleman, a gentleman on our staff loaned me his automobile while we replaced the other one or something. You, 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 you get that. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember there were a couple of moments early in my fundraising career where I started to get comfortable with receiving the generosity of other people, being on the receiving end. And yeah. I have subsequently thought about that a number of times. And I got to say, I've worked with a lot of faith-based organizations, and I think those are the ones that probably have bigger issues with this than anybody else. They just, you know, they, they celebrate the generosity of others. But to to be really good receivers is just not um, I guess it feels vulnerable and I guess it feels needy. Is some of this penny is some of the fact that is some of this this Western individualism that's sort of built into who we are as Americans, for example, that to be 
to, to be receiving anything, to have our hands out and receive anything just isn't in our nature. Um, is that part of what it is, is that it sort of, it goes contrary to who we think we are as people? You know, I haven't thought of it that way, but as right. I listen to you talk, yes, because the beginning of our society here in this country, yeah. we were had to be independent. If you made yes. a mistake, you're stupid. That win and lose mentality is killing us. It's yeah. supposed to be the learning and sharing and helping um, mentality that our society has got to go to, and that will help fundraising. <laughs> you know? But you know what? Yes, I, I hadn't put put it exactly like that, but I, 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 I like that. I definitely think. That, yeah, it's that, that it's that individualism and that sort of that stubbornness that says I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm thinking. <laughs> Um, but, but I think there's some authors, there's a number of people that have come out, you know, written, written on this subject as of late. And I, I can't name it. I can't name any of them with specificity, but what they're basically saying, I think, uh, I think Mandel at, uh, at Harvard has said this. Um, basically we, we oftentimes take credit for achievements and for success that as individuals that we really didn't sort of bring about, right? We're, we're, we're pretty right. damn, we're pretty damn confident that whatever I accomplished today, I did on my own and I didn't get any help from anyone else to do it. And that's, that's almost, that's completely American if you think about it. Yeah. Um, but what yeah. that also I think says, we're building an awareness, though, I think people like you and maybe me, as we build that awareness and as people become aware of it, they'll change their story that they're telling themselves. Is that also Penny? Okay, so there's a there's a cohort of, of voices out in the fundraising space that are starting with greater regularity to irk me more than others, and it's this <laughs> it's this notion that fundraising resembles sales. And I've always wondered, I've always wondered, is the reason that we want it to resemble sales is because by putting something by by creating a transaction by having some sort of a um intangible exchange of something we therefore eliminate that sense of receiving something if i constantly tell you for example penny that fundraising is just like sales then i don't have to feel like i'm receiving anything right well i'm not sure i'm 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 not sure jason because if if I'm selling cars and you give me money, I'm giving you a car. Right, so, I know. Right, but that's a, that's a sales transaction. But in the case of a, a charitable donation, in the in in terms of a, an ex an exchange, when I receive something, I'm not giving you something back. Well, you feel that's because we don't. That's why the whole idea about bringing people in and giving them a role in the organization, because the only reason people come together is for the mission. So yeah. whether they're a donor or a doctor or a nurse or a patient, they're there because of the health care. Sure. And nobody's there the same way people who hate symphony orchestras are not going to be connected, nor are they going to give money. So what I see is the mission is what pulls the community together. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no pushback on that. I just, I, I, 
I, I'm linking, I'm linking your earlier comment with the idea that fundraisers don't like to receive. And by, yeah. by insisting that it resembles sales, you are in, in it, you are in some way avoiding the sense or the, the, the feeling as if you're receiving something because you're not really receiving anything. You're buying something. You, there's an exchange there. Rather than being in a, in a, in a, in perhaps a more humble role of receiving something that you perhaps don't give someone something back for. Well, I think I, I, I'm not a good one to ask for that because I have no issue thinking fundraising is sales because we are, we're selling roles and partnerships within the mission. And, and I don't see anything wrong with it. I think a lots of times when people talk about sales, they yeah. do feel that way because they feel that they, the society has dumped on on um, on selling. Um, but now I think a lot of salespeople, professional salespeople, are using nonprofit fundraising, relationship building to to have relationships with their customers. I my son-in-law owns yeah, restaurant right. and I went to him and I said, you know, I've been reading about 90% renewal on on uh, customers. Do you have that? He said, "Yeah." I said, "You do?" And I said, "Well, I'm asking because fundraising only has like 30 or 40%." He said, "Holy crap, I'd be out of business." Right. right. Said, I, there's no way I can run a restaurant with that. He said, are you kidding me? Is that so I, I, I've been looking at those statistics. Okay, so let's use the let's use it, let's let's uh let's let's permit ourselves to use the sales paradigm there. Um okay. is part of the re is part of the reason that our renewal rates are so lousy is because half of the pe- uh, half of the quote unquote people that were customers that we're selling to ultimately didn't want to buy to begin with. No, I don't think it has anything to do with their customers. I is think the reason, if, if is any, the reason, is the, is the reason more specifically, is the reason why in year two, so year one on Giving Tuesday, you have a hundred donors who give you a hundred dollars on in year two for whatever cause you happen to be in year two. If only 50% of those donors renew, is that in any way because is it is it because the the fifty of those people never really gave a damn about the organization to begin with? Well, I don't think it has to do with them. I think it has to do with us. And you probably don't want to hear my idea of Giving Tuesday. With I think oh, I want to hear everything you've got to say about Giving Tuesday. <laughs> I think it's a total waste of time, and yeah. and it focuses on the money. It's the only reason. Yeah. And so why would people, yeah, they want to help. It feels good. They throw a bunch of bucks at it because somebody they like might have asked them. But and let, now, the only way that Giving Tuesday would fit for me yeah. is if the fundraiser took that list of new donors, providing they were new donors, if yeah. they were if they were renewing donors that happened to give through that, you let them know, you see them. Donors want to be seen. They want to feel they belong. They want to have meaningful connections with the mission. And they want to know the value of that mission in the larger community. They got those three things. They're coming. They're good. If we, I'm convinced, Penny, if we got, 
if we got more fundraisers to own up to the fact that they don't like to quote unquote receive, that they like to ask, I think if we kept, I think if we took this all the way back to where we started, if we <laughs> could, if we could get more fundraisers to own up to the fact that they don't, they, that they're perfectly fine with asking, but they don't like to receive and they could reconcile that and then learn how to get comfortable with receiving, they would then start to to, to sort of look at something like Giving Tuesday with a more critical view and say, maybe that's not the best way we would do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think you're right. I think there's another component of being a fundraiser that is really hard, and that is that your only value is the money you bring in. Uh-huh. If you bring yeah. in 90% renewal, your boss doesn't care. I have had fundraisers say to me, Penny, I know you're talking about renewal. My boss, as long as I make the financial goal, she doesn't care where I got the money as long as it's legal, you know. (laughs) So you've got a whole thing that for me, it's an opportunity for fundraisers. People like you can lead this, this. It's more human. It's not about the money. People, you know, I, I, I'll give you my story about I have a granddaughter who um, graduated from when she graduated from high school. She yeah. had been very active in this children's theater school and she had had a lot of things. She was headed off to college to major in musical theater and and uh, music. So I said to her, you know, this has been very special. I had done volunteering. I had made gifts to this, to the school. I said, what if we give a thousand dollars to the school together to thank them for the time you were here? And she said she loved the idea. And so what I did was I took money away from another gift I was giving in order to give um, that much to the school, to the, to my granddaughter's school. First of all, the, nobody from my other place ever called and asked why I dropped their gift a thousand dollars. Nobody ever contacted me. So then for, I kept giving it to this theater school while she was in college. Then they, I lost touch with them somewhat because they're in Oregon and I'm in Maine for, for just for the connection. Yeah. I got called, I got called one night to renew my gift on the phone. It was 9 PM. I was just closing my computer. She didn't mention that I was on the East coast. So she didn't know who she was talking to. She asked for a gift and said I had given a thousand dollars before, which was true. Yeah, And I said, I'm not going to do that now because I've got some other commitments. And I said, I'll give you 250. She started to argue with me about that. And I got pissed then. And so (laughs) I said, I'll send a check out tomorrow. And she said, well, you could put it. And I know she was thinking I wouldn't. So she wanted to put it on my credit card. And I said, no, you can trust me. I said, I'm, I'm going to send the money. So the next day I was so mad. I, I said, I'm going to send the money, but I'm not going to send it today. Yeah. In the meantime, my granddaughter sent me a video of her performing on that theater stage. And so the next day I sent them $300. Sure. And they never noticed that I upped the promise and they never contacted me in any way. And the thank you letter was stupid. 
<laughs> so that's what's happening. People, it isn't that they're not nice people. I like all those people there, but they get these systems going. And as long as they get the money, that's what the fundraiser gets paid for. So nobody cares about you. So donors giving $250 or less are quitting giving and larger donors are making donor advised funds. I had a seven figure donor that was a friend and we had lunch one day and she said, this was the stupidest gift. And I knew that I knew the, the mission she gave to. And she said it was a terrible experience. And, and I, I, you know, I just said how. See, you know, I, I think. And I, then within weeks, they had a donor advised fund. I think if we went all the way back to the beginning of your conversation, our conversation, and you described, so um, uh, the authors, I, I talk about this in my class with my students at the college. I, I think if we if we transitioned our thinking about the way that we designed fundraising from what uh, uh, Bowman and Deal, those are the two last names of the authors in this particular book, Reframing Organizations. I think if we transitioned our thinking away from what they call the structural frame to the symbolic frame, we could raise a hell of a lot more money because what you just described, if you think about the way that our conversation started, you described generosity and giving has been embedded, formed into you from that, that you were, you were trained up by your father. He gave you your allowance and 20% of your money had to be given to charity, right? That's what you started our conversation with. Yeah. yeah. And if we understood that's a sim that's what Bo uh, Bowman and Deal would call the symbolic frame. Understanding that that's meaning, belief, and identity. That's part of who you are as a person. And I think if we understood that, and we stopped thinking about this, what would be the structural frame. And the structural frame, what these authors would talk about, would be the metrics. For example, how much money did you raise on Giving Tuesday? Which, quite frankly, you as a donor probably don't give all that much of a damn about. But what you right. do care about is the fact that it has the giving experience in some way. And then if you think about what you just described with your granddaughter, you you upped your giving not because of the structural way that you were looking at it. You were you, you're you're critical because you're a fundraiser and you understand the systems. But what actually compelled you to up your giving was that meaningful that belief, that identity, and that that um, that symbolism that you and your granddaughter sort of exist. You know, the, it, it's that richness that sort of exists in our life. Right. And, and I think we're overlooking so much of that because we're constantly focused on the metrics and we're constantly sort of measuring what the donors are capable of. And then we're also feeding this information back to them, which is the critique you're making about Giving Tuesday. We're constantly feeding back to them this information as if they really care how much we raised on Giving Tuesday. I don't think they care so much as much as no. they care to know that I gave you an extra 50 bucks because my... Grant, I, because I saw a picture of my granddaughter on that stage. I think, yes, yeah, I, I yes, I don't, I, right. I think though <laughs> that that people want to stay, and for me, the key is to renewal. If we want to bring strong, positive feelings, interactive partnerships, we need to prioritize renewal, which changes the fundraiser's job. 
What what did you want that? So I, I I'm, I'm hearing this renewal message. What did you want renewal to look? The the woman who calls you on the phone asks you to renew the thousand dollars. You told her you'd give her two hundred and fifty. You upped it to three hundred. She's asking you to renew, but she was it because she asked you to renew the wrong way. That was the wrong person. I don't want a board member. That's a fake relationship. I want yeah. somebody that I know or the fundraiser to call because I've already been a donor for three or four years. And then there was a yeah. year that I I didn't give, I think, was the reason I got this call. So we've got these belief systems, yeah. which you've kind of referred to at different times. And, and when you don't have a fundraiser who really manages Yes. Revenue and expenses and relationships. That's their job. And it's so hard. I ask fundraisers, just start asking fundraisers, what is your renewal rate? Nobody can tell you. Right, right. And what did you, what happened last year with the philanthropy? What percentage of last year's budget came from philanthropy and how was it used? They can't tell you. Donors, you can engage donors in real conversations around those three things. And when you engage them and they feel they belong, they feel like insiders, there's meaning to where their money is being used. And then you throw in some of the value of what that mission was. My granddaughter is now making her profession from that mission. Of course, and when right. she started doing that at three or four years old, that was, who knew, you know? If that, if that woman called you back right now, would you, would you, would you renew at the 300 or the 250 or are you, are you back at the place where if she, if she did her job well, you, you'd give the thousand bucks? No, I don't want to talk to her. You don't even want to hear I, from her. She, no, she's, I don't. Yeah. Because I don't know her. Right, And she right. didn't know how much I'd volunteered. She didn't know and couldn't reference my granddaughter. She knew nothing about me. Don't waste my time. I'm, I might, if somebody had called me and talked about my da- granddaughter, asked me what she is doing now, connect the fact that I was there. I'm in Maine. This is Oregon. The only reason I was there was for her and my daughter and 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 to be connected there. I went there all the time to her place through the whole four years she was in high school. And, or and, five and did you expect do you expect the individual who's calling you to actually have a relationship? It had had it been impossible to have a relationship or, or at least a meaningful connection with your granddaughter, or are you just simply talking about the systems that are in place so that for instance, the person calling you can look at a database and know that your granddaughter was was a student there? I, I, I think it depends on how well the person does. But I know if the if the fundraiser isn't managing the current donors yeah. and knows where they are and what they're doing, however they're doing it, yeah. they are losing because I want to be connected with somebody who, who knows and sees me who values, who can share with me a little bit of what happened this year now that she's in college. Right. And I actually have another granddaughter that's in that, doing that same theater. And I'm friendly with the executive director now. And the first thank you letter I got from them, I sent an email to the fundraiser and I said, this is the stupidest, worst thank you letter I ever got in my life. And believe me, I ended up with a call from him and the executive director. (laughs) 
Is are your expectations? We're good friends now. Okay, Penny, I got to tell you this story. You tell me what your take on this is, but you tell me what your take is on this as it relates to the story you just told me and my listeners. Okay. Okay. So I watched. I watched a uh, what I would call sort of a. Uh, anyway, I watched a uh, an old school direct response guy whine and complain last year on social media over the fact. And this is a guy who's made a lot of money. His entire family has made a lot of money from doing direct response fundraising, right? Extraordinary volumes of direct mail for organizations of all shapes and sizes. And this guy was complaining about the fact that this organ, he had sent in a thousand dollar gift and did not get a meaningful thank you from that organization. And I, and I, and I tried to have a conversation with him. And I don't think it ever connected for him the fact that the volume of activity with which direct response, for example, oftentimes creates doesn't allow these organizations to give him the meaningful response that he was asking for. Well, that's the story we tell ourselves, and that's the part of being stupid. Who's, who's being stupid, me or him, for thinking that uh, that he's actually because if if you're getting a thousand, if you're an organization of the magnitude that he was, did, he he did not get a meaningful thank you call for his thousand dollar gift. And what I was trying to say to him was, look, buddy. You're not going to get a thank you call because you've encouraged these organizations to create machines that generate the volumes of gifts that they just don't have the capacity to make that volume of thank you calls. No, I think you don't blame your customer. Absolutely, you don't blame the customer. You look at your own processes, your own the ways system. of doing things. The system, right. It's not yours and my fault either. I mean, there's a system. And when, I mean, you know what it feels like to knock up against it. Yeah. I know what it feels like to knock right. up against it. And and so part of it is we've got, I am not going to be reactive. I want to be proactive yeah. with ideas. And that I haven't learned all of the way to articulate all of this. But I believe strongly in my mission-centered fundraising, yeah. which has an annual um, thing. It's a three-part system that manages, that the fundraiser manages so that the first thing you do is renew everybody that until somebody says they don't want to renew. Yeah. And, and you do it. You know, you write letters that don't ask for money, but ask for involvement in question. You 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 leave voicemails that with some little information that if if I can help you or answer your questions, fundraisers give all the donors their email and encourage them to call and they'll schedule a call with them when they have a question. The fundraiser is is the one that has to do this right now. Yeah. Fundraisers are are feeling very unempowered. And if you look at a lot of the posts everywhere, you can see that lack of empowerment. It's like, well, somebody needs <laughs> I you know, don't know if they're 
I don't know if they don't, I don't know if they don't feel empowered as much as some cases that the system is just completely exhausting. Penny, I was talking to a group. Yeah. I, I was, I was up in, uh, I was in Chicago. I was out in the Chicago suburbs in late 20, I want to say this was 2019. So this is all before the pandemic sort of shut us down. There was about a hundred fundraisers in the room and I stood in front of them. And I, one of the things I said, half of the room could not believe me. You could see the looks on their faces, but I said, folks, I said, as the baby boomers transition into the key sort of major donor demographic, it's going to totally rattle your cage when you have to begin to take people out to lunch or at least buy a cup of coffee in order to close a $1,000 gift. And it didn't click for any of them. It didn't click for any of them. Or the the probably it didn't click. Let me let me take that back. It probably didn't click for half of them. The idea that the expectation is going to be dramatically higher with the generation of donors that we have in our in our major donor file, if you will, and the expectation of at least some type of meaningful engagement. And it just seems like if you connect the dots between the way you're describing your experience with this organization in Oregon. And this, this frustrated direct response guy in this audience that I had in Chicago. Are, are you kind of following what I'm thinking here? I think so. Yeah, I, I still come back to everybody. I have had little kids give me bags of money when I did the, the Children's Miracle Network uh, TV fundraiser. Yeah. And they would they would go out and they would come in with their little bags of money and they'd look up and you'd know that they want to help little sick kids get better. Yeah. I don't care what's in that bag, that motivation, that desire to give. That's what you want to nurture. And when somebody if you don't want fifty dollars, then don't ask for it. <laughs> Leave them alone. Right. Leave them alone. Yeah. And people are so disgusting. I got this envelope, direct mail. Yeah. And on the outside of the envelope in a little plastic, clear plastic packet was a dime. Sure. Right. And I didn't open it because I was so mad. And finally, I took the dime out and it's still setting on my kitchen windsill, windowsill. Yeah. And the disgusting, you, we all have this desire to help. And when fundraisers start using it to leverage getting money, like when you look at all of these animals that are so sad, you just want to cry, and they're doing nothing but asking for money, I can't watch it. I have to turn it off, literally. I cannot watch it because they are using people's desire to help to get their money. And that's it. Yeah. That's I, 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 yes. Yeah. Right there. You see, I, I think fundraising has gotten so shallow in the way that we execute some of these initiatives, whatever they happen to be galas, golf tournaments, direct mail, whatever, call them whatever you want and do them the way you want to. But I think there's a shallowness. That's what, that's kind of what I was getting at with this group in Chicago, that there's a level of to- intolerance. There's an intolerance of the generation of people that are going to be, are that, that are going to be our biggest check writers for perhaps the next two to three generations that have been inundated with this shallow fundraising stuff that they're just not, that they've gotten this, the, the, the silly appeal letter that you're describing there. 
They're just not going to respond to it. And so if you don't know how to go above and beyond, like what you were asking for with this group in, in Oregon and what I think this gentleman, this direct response guy was asking for on social media, if you're not willing to go above and beyond, you may be foregoing a lot of thousand dollar gifts. It's going to take the same energy, the energy that we have, you know, the same energy that perhaps we have put into 25 and 50 and a hundred thousand dollar gifts may be the equivalent level of energy that we have to put in to get thousand dollar gifts. That's, 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 I guess that's what I'm sort of getting at. Yeah. Well, I think we all have this desire to help and we give what we can give. Not everybody, but some people are making statements, but most of the people that I've worked with over the years, they give what they can give when it's a, when it's uh, something they care about, yeah, a mission, whatever. So, if so that they deserve to feel as valued as a million dollar gift, because you're talking. Because what I've learned is the million dollar donors are feeling the same way. They feel like it's only their money, and as long as we only look at the money, and and when I say we, I mean fundraisers yeah, and the. Yeah. Yeah. The way the system is put up is that's that's going to kill us down the road. And we've got things like like the fundraising that's that's on the Internet now, GoFundMe, stuff like that. And there people go. I mean, I have been giving less because it irritates me too much. So right. I've been yes. giving more money and supporting my grandkids and things that I get. I get interaction with, I get to see, you know, things and, and, and it builds a relationship that I want. Yeah. That's that, that, that's that symbolic frame that I think, I think, I think we have spent as we have professionalized, as we have professionalized the profession, I think we have utilized what these two authors would call the structural frame. And so we've got all these goals and we've got job descriptions and we've got impressive systems and da, 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 da. And we can do extraordinary volumes and you can certainly say that we're doing things at scale and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're not giving people the, the, the meaning and the belief and the, you know, if, if you're not giving them exactly what you just said, they're not going to give. No. And I, I hadn't thought of it the way you just, way you described it, symbolic and structure, because I've always thought in the terms of structure, but not in the terms of the data and things that people go after and use to defend themselves. I've thought of it more in this, as you're describing the symbolic, it's human to human. Yeah. I mean, what we're doing, what we're doing, Penny, at at Responsive is, is we're trying to, I think there's a whole cohort of, because you and I both do consulting. I think there's a whole cohort of consulting companies out there who have, have basically made their business on helping organizations build structures with which to basically exploit exploit fundraising opportunities and what they've done is is they've also done that at the expense of missing the fact that someone just like yourself and just like this direct response guy on social media are really not looking to respond to structural designs you're going to respond to what actually means something to you right and and, and if I, I don't know how to build and if I don't know how to build that into my thinking um it doesn't matter how much structure, what, what, 
that structure is what makes you flinch when you think about Giving Tuesday. All Giving Tuesday yeah. is is a bunch of structure. Right. That's and it. if you look at the financial returns, they spend a huge bunch on expenses. It, yeah, it just yeah. looks like a, it just looks like an early 20th century factory and assembly line that we can do. Like, how much money can I possibly can I take what I used to be able to do an entire year with a direct yeah. mail program and consolidate it into a single year and then put a plaque on my wall? Um, and that's kind of like artificial intelligence, I think. Right. Is yeah. call, which is like drives me bullshit. Well, I, it, it, I, it, uh, and, and the thing is, the fundraisers don't see that either. They don't see that the more automated it becomes, the more automated it becomes, the less likely next year we're even going to pay a human being to do it. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> that generosity is such a big part of our communities and it's their giving through the missions that make, whether it's healthcare, whether there's an education, whether it's taking care of animals, no matter what it is, the mission that people come around to an art museum of, and the value I always like to use for people, the, the symphony, because the symphony gives musicians and it, people who like music jobs, they advantage the schools because they teach a lot to students in the local schools and they people like me who want to go to concerts and enjoy the concerts and then all of the restaurants around on a on a night of or afternoon of a concert gets business that they wouldn't get if that symphony wasn't playing and then the chamber of commerce is selling the symphony to get businesses and people to move to your town because the symphony's there so the missions we have make a huge difference in the quality of life. Yeah. And I remember starting fundraising years ago, the town I'm living in right now was considered not generous, nothing. And now yeah. it's one of the most generous around. And, and that's grown over the years. Yeah. And I think that's where my, that's where I think, and I, that's where I want fundraisers, we are professionals. One of the things I learned in the coaching um, is that we can be better at making relationships, knowing how to make relationships, knowing what kind of conversation. You had a conversation or a podcast a while ago with somebody and you got, you got into the conversation with donors. And I think that's so important because most of us don't know or aren't comfortable and all we want is the money and darn I didn't get a money the first time <laughs> I talked to him and <laughs> and that pressure fundraisers can't even think about what the donors are like and what they you know if you know that a donor loves jelly beans take some to him but you got to find out that he likes jelly beans before you can take them to him you know yeah, and that it, it, it makes perfect sense. And I think that that's why people consistently hear me talk about fundraising being in, in its messy adolescence. And in some ways, that takes us all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation where you were talking about the boss who didn't wasn't terribly comfortable with fundraising be a, being a part of the, the, the dinner meeting or what, 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 whatever you described there. And, yeah. and I think I think as the profession continues to mature. We're going to see younger fundraisers come up with a greater level of confidence. They're going to not, they're not going to be coming through the back door like you and I did. They're going to be coming into this work much more intentionally. 
they're going to be they're going to be wrestling with some of these dynamics that are perhaps a lot more about the psychology of money than it really is about you know the structure in which we build and and it's not going to be about you know flipping the switch on you know giving tuesday or not so yeah i think you're i i think you're right and the young fundraisers when i have spoken sometimes the young ones are the ones that come up and say oh i'd love to do fundraising the way you talk about it yes right yeah and i'm hearing the same thing i, I i'm consistently I hearing I'm consistently seeing this connection between well, well, I'm seeing two things. I'm seeing sort of a uh, there, there's a there's perhaps my oldest colleagues in the space are reaching out to me and they're constantly saying to me, Jason, you're talking about the right stuff, and and then it's also some of these young emerging talented individuals who are saying that's the type of work I want to do, and I think yeah. somewhere in the middle we have sort of lost that touch. And I think it comes with having tried to essentially build these structures, build these machines that churn out, you know, metrics, but don't necessarily, you know, deliver on the meaning that someone like yourself, as it relates to your granddaughter, is necessarily looking for. I, 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 yeah, I hadn't thought of it quite that way, but I, I really agree with you on that. I, yeah. And I think that's part of our work now going forward is to is to help people make it. In my words, it's called human to human. I, yeah, you, you, you saying the same thing. If someone, uh, we we lose our listeners at an hour, and so um, <laughs> uh, we've got to we've got to wrap this up. But if somebody is yeah. listening to our conversation and they're interested in reaching out to you and perhaps continuing the conversation, uh, Penny, how would you suggest that they do that? Uh, my website is renewablephilanthropy.com, and I'm on LinkedIn. And I would I encourage people when I hear from them, I ask if they would like a conversation. I'm doing that now with people and I run a monthly I call it conversations with fundraisers and and I bring a small group of fundraisers together whoever can come that that month once a month it's free. Um, for them to talk with each other this in in uh, the, my next one is next week and we're going to be talking about conversations with donors so it is, can uh, ask questions. we will uh, we will put all that information in the show notes penny it has certainly been a pleasure you are always welcome back Thank you so much. And I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed this. It's so fun to talk to somebody who is questioning things like me. I don't run into that very often. So I've loved our conversation. Thank you. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers.
We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.